internet. Mike and Andy here, uh, World Vox headquarters, Brea, California, just drying out from the atmospheric river uh, over the last several uh, days. Um, it has been, the drought is officially over uh, in Northern California, and we're just waiting for some snow to melt for it to be over. So I'm now watering, uh, I'm watering my yard again and uh, taking long showers. I've washed my car 10 times. Yes, I've been saving it up. Um, so we hope you're well. We hope uh, the new year is off to a great start. Uh, it, the um, the politics going on in our country now is, is absolutely insane. Um, since we've last talked, we had... the inauguration right and the the women's march and the wall has been is now being decreed yeah and um and and i and i remember when we talk about immigration just this isn't the topic for today but i I remember um a friend of mine oh man it's probably a decade ago when i was in my teens um he said you know it, it seems like if you read the bible and taking it all seriously, doesn't it seem like you should err on the side of being pro-immigration? <laughs> I mean, it's so <laughs> it's so overwhelmingly like love your neighbor as yourself, uh, welcome those in need, uh, take care of the widow and the orphan. I mean, it's so. Uh, and then and then in the Old Testament law, I mean, just all of the accommodations that Israel was to make mm-hmm. uh, for the alien and the orphan and the widow. I mean, it was unbelievable. And his point was just. Wouldn't you think Christians should be kind of leading the way in uh, in compassion and uh, welcome? And yet here we are, you know, thousands of years later, and uh, so many of us are are afraid and isolationistic. We want to isolate. Okay, isolated. <laughs> Isolationistic. Okay. Um, Yep, this proof mm. that we don't edit these right there. Right. Um, but but I remember hearing a proposal from a guy named Matthew Sorens, and uh, works for World Relief. At least he did when I when I listened to him. And I thought, you know, this sounds like wisdom. It's not, you know, there's. I, I don't want to advocate a Christian position. Uh, again, we don't. We're, Christians need to get out of the advocating of Christian positions, right? As if you were non-Christian if you held it, but. Um, I was challenged by it. I was challenged by my friend a decade ago saying, hey, don't you, don't, shouldn't we err on the side of like, shouldn't we err on the side of being nonviolent? And then we have to be convinced otherwise. Shouldn't we err on the side of being pro-immigrant? Mm, yeah, yeah. And then we have to be convinced otherwise. You know what I'm saying? Like the burden, like the default position of the church should always be against violence and against revenge and against isolationism and again you know i mean you think yeah absolutely so so anyway matthew soren said this really interesting and i don't know if he's changed I, i have no idea but back in the day i took some notes on it because i thought hey this is interesting so i just throw this out uh in the midst of uh crazy immigration talk um his position was threefold, and it was signed by a bunch of churches and the National Association of Evangelicals and so on, so on, so on. But it was the first position was to make it harder to immigrate illegally uh, by ensuring border security. And I, I, I think a bunch of us would say, yeah, I mean, we want to be careful about who's getting in. Yeah. The second thing he said, though, which was, I, I love this, he's like, but make it easier to get in legally. Right. So make it harder to get in illegally, make it easier to get in legally. Or to become a citizen. Wasn't it make it easier to become a citizen? Hold on, hold on. Okay, all right. Just Andy Bear? 
who's leading this part right now? Um, make it easier to immigrate work legally in the United States, adjusting the flaws in our current visa system in ways that meet the needs of U.S. labor market and keep families unified. Love that. And then the third one gets to, to where you were going. Require and allow those who are presently undocumented to come forward pay a fine as a penalty for having entered or overstayed a visa unlawfully, undergo a criminal background check, um, uh, and then granted probationary legal status. At the end of your probationary period, you can demonstrate you're working, paying taxes, have stayed out of criminal problems, or working towards learning English. They would be eligible for lawful permanent resident status. And five years after that, if they can pass a citizen test in English and meet all other requirements, they can become citizens. Mm. And I was like, dude, that... That just sounds really good, yeah. right? That just sounds like wisdom. Like, like I can embrace each each plank of that, and it, and it seems like you know. Again, this is another one of those issues where, if if you are um, for increasing border security, you're anti-immigrant. Well, that's not true. This is a position that's not anti-immigrant at all. This is a position that's very pro-immigrant, um, but it, but it also takes into the real account of of. Uh, the fact that we do have border issues. So, so it's, I, I just thought I, I was thinking of, you know, as the, the whole wall conversation again, and I was thinking of, um, I was thinking of, uh, and I was reminded of this guy and his proposal. And I thought, Hey, I, I think I want to share this just because it made so much sense to me. It's not the Christian position. Of course, it was just, it seemed like wisdom. Mm-hmm. And it seems like as Christians, we're trying to be peacemakers. Um, we're very pro-immigrant. It seems like that should be our default. And we also want to recognize the real world of real issues and terrorism and violence and, you know, all of those sorts of things. And I thought, okay, there you go. So what do you think of that, Andy? That's just, that's an extra. That's nice. I think that's a very charming political view. Charming? <laughs> oh, my goodness, Andy Bear. It would fit nicely in the menagerie of oh um, executive orders oh my that goodness. we've <laughs> witnessed so, in the past, like, 48 hours I know. Alone. Seriously. He's on, <laughs> Trump on fire. Trump um, on fire. Spicer AF. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> alternative so, facts. So, um, alternative facts. That's what AF stands for. All right. So what I want to do is I want to I want to I want to move our conversation from last podcast forward a little bit. So we got a ton yeah. of response from the stages of spiritual maturity from mm-hmm. M. Scott Peck. Mm-hmm. Stage one, institutional and formal. Um, uh, no, no. Stage no, no, one no. is antisocial and chaotic. And, right. And um, and stage two, institutional, formal. Three, mystic, skeptic. Um, four, communal and something. No, no, individual and skeptic. Individual. I'm messing them up. But listen to the podcast because (laughs) really helpful. Um, Dang it. So stage one, um, antisocial and chaotic, right? You're governed by just will and desire. Mm -hmm. Institutional, formal, um, skeptic, individual. So yeah, that's right. You no longer trust the institutions. Mm -hmm. And then uh, mystic, communal. That that's right. That's what that's it is. Right. Okay, and and so we heard a lot. Uh, we heard a ton from the stage three years. The stage the stage three years seem to be um, where our sweet spot is. Uh, and, uh, and and even if you're not fully in stage three, we, we, Landy was calling them post stage twos. Yeah, you know maybe you haven't fully entered in now. Right. So what I thought I would do today is introduce another set of categories that talk about the transition from stage two to stage four. Mm. Yeah. Now, and these have nothing to do and, and nothing to do with M. Scott Peck's work. This is all stuff that's just in my brain that I, I um, have read other places, and I and I so I was thinking about that transition, and what came to mind 
uh, was that there's an Old Testament theologian named Walter Brueggemann, and uh, many of our listeners will be familiar with him, but Walter Brueggemann has a way of categorizing the Psalms that I think is really, really instructive and helpful in this conversation about the, mm. the evolution between stages. Now, um, if you're new to the Bible, the Psalms, um, the Psalms were written uh, as uh, liturgical worship. They, they sometimes they had musical accompaniment. Sometimes they were sung or chanted uh, without musical accompaniment. Um, they were used at festivals, the Jewish holidays, the celebrations. It was kind of the worship manual of of Jesus in the early church. Um, this was the Bible that Jesus read. Uh, so they they would talk about. The Torah, the Psalms, and the Prophets is like a threefold division. Um, and, and the Psalms, it's, it's like the largest in, in, in the Old Testament. It's just this, it's a hundred and a bunch of chapters. And um, and so if, you, if you're new, the Psalms are really interesting because they were written uh, by a number of people, but a lot of them were written by a guy named David, who is a very interesting character in and of himself, a man after God's own heart, yet who committed adultery, murdered uh, the wife, the husband of the wife he'd slept with, um, uh, had had a had a really dysfunctional family, um, and yet giant killer. <clears throat> oh yes, David Goliath. <laughs> yes, who's your giant? Um, so anyway, Brueggemann takes the Psalms. And he categorizes them in three categories that I've always found super, super helpful. Um, and these categories describe, um, if you map them over Peck's typology, they describe an evolution from stage two to stage four. Mm-hmm. And um, and so so if you'll bear with me, I'm going to do like a bunch of teachy stuff, and then we'll talk about the implications of it, all right? Right. So he says there are three ways... Three categories of psalms. The first is he calls psalms of orientation. The second, psalms of disorientation. And then the third, psalms of reorientation. And um, so I want to go through examples of each one and and give you a picture of, of what he means by each of those terms and then talk about how that kind of works itself out. So the first thing, um, psalms of orientation. Um, these are psalms that um, that are life is wonderful. They're the life is wonderful psalms. The God is good. Um, life consists of satisfied seasons of well-being. Um, we're thankful. Things are great. The sun is shining. The birds are chirping. It reflects a very settled faith. It reflects uh, the, the, the deep knowledge and belief that God is reliable. God is trustworthy. Uh, God is good and loving and kind and faithful. He's awesome. Uh, it reflects kind of a happy, settled state, a blessed state. Uh, life is not threatening right now. It's not troubling right now. It's well-ordered. Um, it, it, God has ordered life well. So not, so, so it's funny. There's a, there's a clarity here, a black and whiteness here. Um, and, and it's reflected in different, the, there are different kinds of psalms of orientation. There are songs of creation where you have psalms that are constantly affirming that God is the author of order and design um, and not chaos. Um, there, there, there are like um, Psalm 145, we'll read that in a second. It's each line begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet and sequence. So the psalm is ordered to reflect the ordering of God's good world. Huh. All right, makes sense? Yeah. Um, there are also songs of Torah, which um, it's the blessings of the life of obedience, right? So Psalm 1 mm-hmm. is very famous. Um, or Psalm 119, 
the blessings of uh, the good of creation is uh, described in the Torah. There are also wisdom psalms where um, we're praising God between the connection for the connection between what we do and the consequences of our doings. Um, and, and then there are just psalms that are general, like occasions of this is awesome and gratitude. And so, so let me give you a couple examples. This is Psalm 135, 145, excuse me. And, and again, it's, it reflects a settled faith, the assurance of God's goodness, an untroubled sort of uh, life is good um, emotional state. I will exalt you, my God and King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you, extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate on your wonderful works. Uh, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. His compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of your glory so that people will know of your mighty acts. Your kingdom is everlasting. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. Now, do you hear all the allness, right? It's just this absolute clarity, black and white. God is always good. Uh, God is good. God is good forever, you know, kind of thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways. He's faithful in all of he do, uh, all that he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who con, call on him in truth. I'm having so much trouble speaking today. Uh, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. I mean, this it, it's these unshakable, unqualified promises and declarations of his goodness. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah. Or Psalm 104, I praise you, my Lord. Um you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. Uh, he makes the clouds his chariot. So it's a reflection on creation. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He sets the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. Uh, by your rebuke, the waters fled. I mean, it's just the, it's, it's the goodness of God. So the first psalm is really the goodness of God manifested in me, in my ordered life. This psalm is about the goodness of God manifested in the ordering of creation right it just fits together well i mean and, and the psalm goes on and on and on all right so yeah psalms of orientation and and you can you can roughly you know categorize it, this is stage two um in uh, in peck's sort of motif it's the uh, the inner chaos uh has been diminished life is now ordered um it's settled and uh and there's a great deal of clarity about what's good, what's bad, who's good, who's bad. Makes sense? Yeah. Life is good. Yeah. All right. Okay. So disorientation, as you can imagine, the song that always comes to mind is Everybody Hurts by uh, R.E.M. <laughs> Everybody hurts. Um, it is Psalms. <laughs> I know. Sorry. So, <laughs> That's like the Creed version of R.E.M. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Oh... Psalms of disorientation. So, so Brueggemann calls these songs of disarray. Life hurts. Life consists of hurt and alienation and suffering and death. And it evokes, songs of disorientation evoke rage and resentment and self-pity and hatred. The world has come crashing down. Um, we're, we're, uh, these Psalms are marked by disequilibrium and incoherence and, and, uh, he calls it unrelieved sim- asymmetry. It's like, God, I'm doing all this for you. You're doing nothing for me. Um, so many, m- the majority of the Psalms are in this category. They're called mm-hmm. laments. Mm-hmm. Now that's a huge point. We're going to come back to, um, 
These are songs of protest. They're songs of complaint. They're psalms of anguish. Um, They're psalms that reflect the evil and suffering in us and in the world. All right, so it's all the beauty and goodness and crystal clarity of orientation comes crashing down. It's the transition from stage two to stage three. Yeah. What worked and how good and simple and easy life was, right. stage two, it's, it's, it's no longer there, yeah. right? It's completely different. So a couple of examples, and these are so freaking depressing, um, but, but I, but I, I want to read them because the Bible is a lot more honest than Christians are yeah. about their suffering. Yeah. And there is this, even among people who've walked with Jesus a long time, there's this thing that says we've got to somehow clean ourselves up. And a, and a mentor of mine named John Coe um, said years ago, and it wrecked me, he said, prayer is not a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. And the Psalms mm. are honest. And so, so for instance, Psalm 44, it, it first talks about how good God was to the ancestors uh, of the psalmist people, mm-hmm. and now how God's abandoned them. <laughs> and, 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 and it's God's fault. And so it's, it's awesome. So we have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in the days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations, you planted our ancestors, you crushed the peoples, made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword they won the promised land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you loved them. Later on, he says, but now you have rejected and humbled us. You are no longer, you no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy. Our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep. You have scattered us among the nations. You've sold your people for a pittance. You gained nothing from their sale. You've made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. Um, I live in disgrace all day long and my face is covered with shame. All this came upon us. Now listen to this. This is so good. All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we'd forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Uh, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Forget our misery and oppression. We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Hmm. Right? Yeah. God. Yeah. Hey, we're doing our part. Yeah. You suck. Yeah. I mean, really? I mean, so freaking honest. Yeah. Psalm 88 is, is probably the most depressing right. psalm. And, equ- and equally, like, so natural in the condemning, right? I mean, because, like, David's just kind of like, and you gain nothing from this. Like, yeah. It's like, you know, oh, like, so how would he know? Like, but that's... He's the, trying to shame. Yeah. So yeah. in an honor-shame culture, he's trying to shame God. Yeah. God, by allowing us to be shamed, you're shamed. Yeah. It's so interesting. So Psalm 88, the most depressing psalm in the history of the planet. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I am overwhelmed with troubles. My life draws near to death. I'm counted like those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with your waves. You've taken from me my closest friends. You've made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. 
Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do the spirits rise up and praise you? In other words, if I die, what's the, I can't worship you anymore. Come on, God. He says, why, Lord, do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I've borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, you surround me like a flood. You've completely engulfed me. You've taken from me my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. And then it ends. Hmm. <laughs> Darkness is my closest friend, period. Uh, right? Yeah. No red bow. No pretty the wrap up. No like, yay, God, you're awesome. Total and absolute despair aimed squarely at God Almighty. Right. And it's funny. It's like, wait, even then, it'd be so easy for us to like, okay, let's move on to the next verse. You know, right? like how it's interesting to wonder how long then, like, even if it was in linear order, how long between that ended and then the next thing started. You right. know, it's that. Right. I mean, you don't just end there and then you wake up the next day and write a new song and, oh, that was just yesterday's That was feeling. yesterday. No, this is like, for those of us that have wrestled with like deep depression, that's that's as close to you get to what it feels like. Yeah. And, um, and then there are communal laments. So it's not just, so that's an individual one. Then there are communal ones. God, why have you rejected us forever? Psalm 74. Um, <laughs> uh they he um oh he goes on and on i don't want to i don't want to overdo this um but there are these uh, it, it's i mean there's so many of them um that that are communal laments god um why have you rejected us why have you forsaken us why have you forgotten us where where they're like you know <laughs> they're trying to shame him into action it's just absolutely compelling so for brugeman the move from orientation to disorientation um, is a hugely significant thing, yeah. right? The movement from stage two to stage three uh, in uh, in Peck's sort of typology, um, and 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 the reason and the reason I'm doing this, Andy, is because so many of us who've who've run through this transition, we don't have words for it. And we yeah. don't know how to worship in it. Yeah. And, and and yet in the scriptures, there's so much language given to this where mm. you go, oh my goodness, this is part of the life of faith. This is not something other than faith. Right. Right. Now, is there a doubt that's condemned in the Bible? Yeah. If it's, it's an expression of stubbornness and unwillingness to believe, a stiff neckedness in the in the words of the Old Testament, mm -hmm. sure. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how what was what the the clean orientation of new faith of mm -hmm. of of settled faith gets burnt out of us in the in the in the midst of tragedy or crisis or process right. and um, and we find ourselves in dark places mm -hmm. now the the great news of course is that the psalmists don't leave us in disorientation so uh, Brueggemann introduces a third category called reorientation now here's the big point Reorientation is not going back to orientation. It's factoring in disorientation to a new orientation. Make sense? Yes. So so there is hope in the darkness, in other words. Reorientation, uh, it's, it's, um, it is the fresh birth of hope, not outside of darkness, but in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's the reversal 
of uh, fortune. It's an inversion. It's a rescue. It's a deliverance. It's a surprise is a big word Brueggemann uses. It's a surprise mm. that at the pit, even God is there. In the darkest moments, even he is there. Um, uh, it's 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 important in for Brueggemann that you understand that you can't get to reorientation except through disorientation. Mm. There's no way you can, there's no theoretical way to get there. Yeah. Um, this is the kind of worship that if you've been around people who have suffered uh, deeply and yet they've worked through that, they have a faith that's different than the faith of somebody who's just brand new to faith. Yeah. Um, and so, so for instance, uh, new orientation, um, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. So I was in the depths, but you've rescued me from there. Lord, I called on you for help and you healed me. You brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Um, uh, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made me uh, a ro my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. Um, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and, and clothed me with joy. So there was a time. So do you see it? So, yeah. the, so the disorientation was you weren't listening, you were silent, you hid your face from me. The reorientation is you turned my wailing into dancing. You lifted me from the pit. Yeah. You see the difference? Yeah, it's rescue. It's like it wasn't I initiated, it was that you were pulled from it. Right. Yeah. Uh, or Psalm 40, which I cannot help sing. Uh, I cannot help say, but like you two sings it. <laughs> Waited patiently for the Lord, he inclined and heard my cry. Left me, he lifted me out of the mire, uh, the slimy pit, out of the mire clay. Again, Creed, thank you very much. What are you, what are you doing Creed on your phone? What are you doing on your phone I right was, now? I was taking a note. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. What, what note was it? I was texting my friends. Oh, yes. So, um, so, in, 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 and again, in, in, in that instance, it is the, um, it, it is the, the recognition of rescue in the midst of darkness, hope in the midst of darkness. It wasn't the removal of the darkness. It was the meeting in the darkness yeah. that was the hope. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so so huge, huge, huge. Um, and so for Brueggemann, the life of faith is centered on these two moves, mm -hmm. from orientation to disorientation, from disorientation to reorientation, or from two to three, then three to four. And uh, he says that that um, this the the movement may happen because some circumstances change, an illness, loss of a job, death of a loved one, recognition of sin and the pain it's caused. It could just simply be you know, a growing awareness that life isn't always fair. You know, you're aware yeah. of what's happening around the world. Right. Um, it's almost like external crisis and the awareness of it. And yes, yeah. yes, the yeah. movement uh, from security to the known. Uh, of the known, the security of the known into the chaos of the unknown um, provokes lament and anger and resentment. And then the second movement is from this or disorientation into new. And it's it's the movement, he says, is characterized by the assurance that God has heard and responded to our cries. Action has been taken. And so our thankfulness isn't that we that he kept us from it. It's that he met us in it. Makes sense. Yeah. So huge. So to me, I, I mean, this, this, 
this feeds me like crazy because, and this isn't a one-time sort of walk, right. right? Sometimes reorientation turns out to be just an orientation that needs to be shook up again by disorientation, yeah, right? right? So, so it's kind of like this cycle that ever deepens. Yeah. But it's like, a, it's like the Mario video game where you 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 accomplish levels and it changes directions, and yes. then you have to go through another it's exactly. Like, you know, exactly. And ultimately you end up, you know, but it. Yep. Yeah. Yet the people, the people that have have gone through, you just you will recognize what new orientation or reorientation feels like. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'll recognize the people who've walked through the the darkness and they come out the other side with a faith that is that is that again looks like orientation, but it's factored in disorientation. Mm -hmm. So there, so disorientation, disorientation hurts most the first time you go through it. Because you have no idea what it is. Yeah. Now disorientation, or you know, I, I even use it as a substitute for depression. Now I know what it is, and it's not as frightening. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the first time's crazy. Now, I want to talk about why the Bible allows, gives us so much permission to lament. Now we've talked about lament, I think once or twice before, early uh, in the podcast. But I, I don't think we can come back to it enough. Um. And so, so why does why does why is lament so important? So let me answer that question, and then we'll get to implications. Am I making sense? I feel yeah. like I'm stammering nope. and not clear. All right. So, so first of all, lament forces us to confront reality. It forces us to tell the truth, mm-hmm. right? It uh, it insists that the world has to be experienced the way that it really is, not in some pretend way. Mm-hmm. Um. There is nothing, and what the what the Psalms teach us is that there's nothing out of bounds in terms of what we can bring to God. Mm-hmm. So bring our anguish, bring our resentment, bring our disappointment, bring our sexuality, bring our our um, uh, the dissatisfaction, uh, the the dreams that have been crushed. I mean, it, 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 there's nothing that isn't the, a subject of faith or prayer or devotion. Right? It's absolutely crazy. Um, we live, we do live in a culture of spin and denial, alternative facts. Yeah. <laughs> we live in a culture that denies the reality of death. And so we hide death, mm. um, for the ancients. I mean, people died not in hospitals, but just in bedsides, right? I mean, you were right. just right there next to the people that were dying. It wasn't, it wasn't some horrific thing. It was what happened yeah. for us, you know, whether it's plastic surgery, whether it's mm. fitness, whether it's medical interventions, it's like we just are holding on to youth mm. like nobody's business. And there is, you know, aging for us mm. is disorienting. So it, it's I mean, even just the idea of the dead, because when um, that's so interesting, because like think of even the public you know, parade, you know, of like the whole lament process of Jewish culture. Like it's like oh, if someone yes. died in your house, well, then there has to be a transportation process to then take that body somewhere and how that whole like procedure and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, it's a P word. Um, procession? Procession. Like just how that whole procession has a significant meaning and it's That's public. Right. That's right. And it's fascinating how because so many of our loved ones pass in hospitals and those places. Mm-hmm. There's it's nothing. Like, there's nothing. Nope. So it's just so hidden and so disregarded sanitized. and it's sanitized. sanitized. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so what's what the laments do is they force us to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in American culture, that means the truth about aging, the truth that youth isn't. I, I mean, it's so funny when you when you older people. Um, it seems like aging is is in itself disorienting. Uh, because our culture worships youth and and they will either get stuck there and just be angry resentful bitter closed 
or the old older folks that have have worked through that aging process i mean you, you, i've been around older folks that are the most gracious and kind and like you know they've worked through it like their age isn't something to be fear, uh, afraid of right um i i love that we're going to do a theology of aging podcast at some point Ooh, i think fun. that'd be really interesting um yeah we need some old people on here yeah I know, seriously. We it's just us twenty somethings. Yeah. That's just so <laughs> that's us millennials that's, over here. That's unwoke. Um uh lament speaks out what our culture would love to suppress. Um how many how you know, in families, how many families have secrets? Mm. You we just don't talk about that, right? And and lament says, No, no, we will talk about this. Yeah. Um uh it names what is wrong in order to heal. Lament is um, it, it 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 goes against this this see see the big thing I want to talk about is how um, a lot of church communities seem like they are f- fully the kind of faith and the kind of church they they express is all orientation it's all awesome everything's a red mm. bow it's all pumped it's amazing it's incredible it's like yeah our next great thing and and then we got this killer program and then we're going to missions and the da, da, da. <laughs> and 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 our culture is growing more disoriented mm. and so one of the disconnects i hear from us millennials is orientation doesn't speak to the reality of evil and injustice and oppression and the reality of yeah. sin and death and disease yeah. and, and and so we have how these, can you say how great God is when when I'm watching at this. this whole other thing happen right yeah absolutely and 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 so you know so many of the questions I get from people are about the justice of God and the goodness of God why mm-hmm. because because the the orientation that we're given in our faith doesn't map the disorientation of our life. Right. And and our churches seem now again, not all and I, I'm not bashing, but but I'm just I, I think there's a critique here that's valid. Um our churches are not comfortable with um uh, disorientation. And so like for instance, I spoke at this conference over New Year's and um and uh it was twenty six hundred college students and whatever and and um I, I did a talk so so uh one of my best friends um, uh, he was a roommate of mine when I was uh, back in the day in Ohio after college. Um, his wife, mid forties, unbelievably wonderful. Um, she has uh, advanced aggressive terminal cancer, out of the blue, and you know they've got they've got uh, four kids under the age of eight, nine. I mean, it's it's absolutely gut wrenching, and so. Um, we decided as part of this conference, they, they lived in the city where the conference was held, that, that they would come and share their story after I taught on the kind of the idea that God disappoints everybody. And so it was like the, the teaching was like, here's Mary. Um, who's going to give birth to Messiah, but Simeon says a sword will pierce your soul too. Or here's Jeremiah that receives this epic call in the womb and then 20 chapters later hates the day he was born. Yeah. Or Moses, uh, Moses leads the people through the promised land, but then God says, okay, climb this mountain and you can look at the promised land, but you're going to die right here. Yeah. You know, or here's David, um, I want to build you a temple, God. Nope, your hands are too bloody. You can get the materials and your son's going to build a temple. Right. You, you just, what happens when life doesn't work out the way you want it to? And so then we had, we had my friend Glenn and his wife Nancy come up and share their story, and and it's there's no red bow here. I mean there they there there are tumors that 
what there's nothing to do um it's either god will heal her miraculously or she will die i mean that those are the only options and um and so so i did this kind of depressing teaching they shared and then and then we just had this kind of communal lament where there we we just had people kind of acknowledge um where they were broken and hurting whatever so we have this incredibly heartbreaking you know kind of corporate time and then the worship team gets back up and they start singing these anthemic like songs of orientation like i'll stand with arms wide open and awe and and you know i mean and, and you're and and the juxtaposition of for me it was oh my goodness and, and again i mean they already had this planned out i'm not blaming i mean they're of course they were great the issue rather was I hope other people could feel how jarring that felt. Like we were sitting in disorientation and could not go back to orientation. It was like, we cannot just yeah. sit and sing these, these sort of trite, they, the songs feel trite now. Right. They feel hollow now. The just, moment demanded reorientation yes. and reevaluation. Or, or, or not even reorientation, just yeah. disorientation. Yeah. Just honor our freaking disorientation, right? <laughs> just honor it. Just sit in it. Just be still, be quiet. Um, but it's so uncomfortable there. And I thought that moment encapsulated kind of our, 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 at least the church I'm familiar with, kind of our uncomfortability with leaving it bad. Right. Um, I mean, I look, at, I look at what churches teach in January, and it's always how to have a better life. Um, you know, freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, how to manage finances, you know, blah, 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 blah. And all of that's great. That's life wisdom that so often we don't get from families. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, uh, but, but, but it, it just doesn't help. It doesn't, that's not big enough. It doesn't map the reality, especially with the advent of social media now. So I know what's happening in Aleppo and I, I know what's happening, um, with Syrian refugees and I know what's happening. Right. I mean, you just yeah. can't escape it. And so the church seems stuck on orientation, uh, at least in its largest expressions, mm -hmm. um, and uncomfortable. And we want it to be stuck there, yeah. right? We don't like we don't like the mess. Unless you're a messy, sloppy, in the middle of disorientation, you're not a fan of sitting there watching people lament if you're not lamenting, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So we'd much rather have a pretty red bow. We'd much rather have an anthemic song. Right. We'd much rather have it end on a high note, baby. Yeah, yeah. let's go. Yeah. Um, and so I've always, I've always considered, I've always wondered how, if we took uh, disorientation seriously, how we do that corporately. Yeah. Like how, how do we build a church that welcomes that, that isn't afraid of that? Mm -hmm. um, uh, we, we, the last couple of years, we've done a blue Christmas service, which was, hey, in this season where everyone's supposed to have the holiday spirit, let's lament, right? right? Life sucks sometimes. Right. It's just interesting. It's it, I feel like this day and age, though. Talk to me. Um, it feels like it should be like, kind of like what you said in the beginning. Our default this day and age should be lament. And that every now and then, and in, in, in some ways, being convinced otherwise, because I think the, the the version that's formed from the church we have was very post World War II. Mm -hmm. And when you look at how much information was available, I mean, it was just all the focus was coming out of that massive national conflict. But now our grand exposure to how much actual conflict there is and how much we're able to respond to yep. actually calls us into, yep. we have to embrace this disorientation because there's no escaping it. Right. See, at that time, I felt like yep. because of our lack, we couldn't 
we could sure. escape it. And yeah. so, you know, hey, no, we're, we're coming out of World War II. We were successful. We won. You know, it was this declarative time period for the American church. And now it's like it's that is just yeah. not our culture. Right. And I think now when we look at these situations, it's like I don't. I can't walk into this place when I'm just so aware of right. everything actually happening, not only in my own life, but right. everywhere else around me. That's it. And yeah, that's why I just don't, the shiny, happy songs, there's a place for them. But I, I also, I need other songs too. I need other songs that are, um, that are allowing me to sit because, because here's the big, I mean, I'm going to jump over why laments are in there. Cause I'm not fired up. Um, but here, here's what Brueggemann said, and I just this wrecks me. And this is really the heart of, of what we're trying to accomplish. He said, churches should be the most honest place in town, not the happiest place in town. <laughs> and, and I was like, yes, oh, yes. We are not Disneyland for crying right, out loud. <laughs> right, and, 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 but And yet there's so much pretending that uh, is encouraged. And, and I get it. I mean, we're not working out our issues in front of everybody. I got that. But for crying out loud, nobody knows how to grieve. Nobody knows what to do with death. Nobody knows what to do with aging. Nobody knows what to do with disease and illness. I mean, we, we just sweep all that stuff. And the church should be the one place where all of that stuff is brought forward and called out and held up in the light of the character of God revealed in Jesus, right? And yet it's not. It's mm. so often. And it's just easier to talk about improving your life. It's to, to sing happy anthem uh, songs. Um, but that does not that does not map the world people are living in. And then we wonder, well, how come people separate their faith from their real life? Oh, I wonder. Because their faith doesn't ever engage with it. Mm. And so... Um, you know, unless, unless we talk about sin now, we're all, you know, that's another error we make is that it's all about the darkness inside. Yeah. yeah, And about managing that. Got it. Uh, but there, but there's, you know, there are some of us who just walk around and we just see behind the facade of Orange County, behind the tracked homes, behind the, the, the beautiful people and the plastic surgery behind the, the sweet malls and the, and the, and the great incomes, there is a hole here and a, an ugliness here that is so much bigger and that needs to be spoken into. And you can't speak into it unless you are, you are willing to lament and just sit in in the morning and sit in the anguish and sit in the process. When I was in therapy, I was in therapy 18 months. And um, the first couple of weeks, I went once a, once a week. And the first several, I, I would say not weeks, but months, it was like insight, 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 boom, boom, boom. Oh, this is incredible. And then that stopped. And I remember wanting to quit because it was like 125 bucks a session, you yeah. know? And and my therapist and and this uh, this mentor of mine, John Coe, uh, were both saying, no, no, you've got to sit in it. You've got to sit in it. Coe always talked about sitting in the weeds. Sit in your ugliness. Sit in your brokenness. Sit in it. Don't run from it. Don't don't fix it. Just sit in it. Which was the hardest thing for me to do. I wanted to fix it. I wanted to escape it. I wanted to find relief from it. But to sit there and to to try to learn to be loved by God in the middle of it without performing my way out. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And what I needed there was, and, and, and God brought people who grieved with me. And, and here was the key. They didn't talk much. They just sat there and they listened as I was just, what is this? And what is this? And where is God? And why am I? And I go back, I can hardly read my journals from that period mm. without, without having huge anxiety provoked because it was such an awful, awful season for me. 
um, there were there were about four years of just relentless depression and anxiety, and therapy it was like a last resort, you know, and um, and and the people that were so powerful in those moments were the people that just sat just sat there and said, yep, I know exactly what that feels like. I know exactly what that feels like. And I was like, oh, God, thank you for these people, you know? Yeah. Um, and and there, there should be a part of church, not all of it, of course not. There should be a part of it with that, where that is done, where that is, that we make room for that. Mm-hmm. The ugly, the sloppy, the messy. And, um, and so I'm still, I still wonder a lot about how we do that. And, and how do you, how do you, how do you speak to people in orientation and affirm God is good all the time, all the time God is good? Because right. that's true. How do you speak to people at the same time who are in disorientation, that their anguish still is heard and that God hasn't abandoned them? Yeah. And then how do you speak to people in, in reorientation? Oh my goodness, you can make this. You know, you can, I've been through that. Yeah. Um, how do you speak to all those people at once? And how do you... How do you give people in disorientation the hope of reorientation? And how do you people how do you prepare people in orientation for the disorientation that's coming? Yeah. Right? Right. Ah, oh, the, these are just questions that so mm. you know stir in my brain because I don't feel like we prepare people for this journey. I wasn't I wasn't prepared, and it's no one's no one's fault. It's just that how do we so a lot of the stories we try to tell at Vox in our little church. We want them to be stories of disorientation and new orientation. We don't mm-hmm. want them to be orientation stories. Mm-hmm. So I'm always have a disorientation filter on the stories. Like right. if, if one of the stories is just, hey, I love Jesus, came to faith, went to Christian college, Christian high school, and man, I'm just here. Hallelujah for that. Mm-hmm. But that's not a story I'd necessarily want to tell, not because it's not a great story, but because it doesn't express the disorientation that so many of our folks, the stage threeness yeah. that so, so many of our folks are sitting in, you know? Yeah. And I want to be a pastor that speaks to all three of those, the the the, the rush of early faith, um, the, the, the reality of anguish and pain and loneliness, um, and disorientation. And I've tasted reorientation. I've tasted it. And I've said, oh my goodness, in the midst of depression, a child with genetic issues, um, the, the fear of losing, uh, Seth in the womb, we thought he may, he maybe had another trisomy issue. Uh, I mean, the difficulty of just working out marriage. I mean, I, there's a, there's a beauty and a depth and a tenderness that comes when you've kind of walked that journey a little bit, oh, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, there's so much compassion for for the people who are not yet there, and so I, I just thought as I was thinking about the stages, I was thinking about you know the the another way I capture the transitions is 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 what Brueggemann has done here. And, um, and, and I love how it maps the scriptures because one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of the Bible is because it's messy. See, the mess used to threaten me. The mess used to like, well, I don't understand how these verses fit together. I don't understand. This seems like it's contradictory or, oh my goodness, there are all these textual variants and there are all these questions about interpretation and stuff. And now I've come to the place. So I went, I went through with the Bible. I, I, I literally have done orientation, disorientation and reorientation with the Bible. 
orientation was like yep clear as a bell how can no how can you not believe this i mean look at this i mean it's just the prophecies and the and it's so historically accurate da, 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 da. and then you go oh my goodness but the old testament just seems so freaking jacked up and women can be sold and slaves can be beaten and what the heck this is so crazy and really god commanded genocide and and um and and the old testament god and jesus just seem at odds in some places and and what about ananias and some fire. I mean, and so there's this disorientation, but now there's this reorientation in my view of the scriptures where I'm comfortable, where I actually like, I, I believe it because of the mess mm. and because of the mystery. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, any God and any faith that's not going to clean it up. All right. I, I can find, I can find my way in here. Yeah. So how do we do that corporately? How do mm -hmm. we do that? If you're a worship leader and you're listening to this, how do you write songs that capture this? How, uh, if you're a, if you're a, a teacher, do you, do you make room for all three kinds of people at your table? If you're in disorientation, do you allow people to be in orientation? Um, if you're in reorientation, are you gracious with those in disorientation or are you pushing them, you know, to, to get there? I mean, it, it's just, it provokes all these beautiful questions. And if you are someone who's outside the kingdom uh, of Jesus movement, um, it, it's the recognition that, that what you're going through is a spiritual journey too. You, it may not be a religious journey, but it's a spiritual journey. And it's part of, I would argue, it's part of the way God calls out to us. Um, that God is not absent in this. That this is one of the things that God does in calling out in the recognition that disorient, part of the cry of disorientation is it shouldn't be this way. Yeah. And, um, and the it shouldn't be this way cry, if you take it far back enough, I think leads you. Uh, to the God of the scriptures. Now, obviously people are going to disagree with that, but all that is to say, I thought this would be helpful. Andy thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah. On the large, <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it's on the large scale. It's, you know, it's some of it's just philosophical of the way of perhaps we just, the church needs to turn to not being so ignorant of death. Right. You know, because it's like when we look at death as a result of sin and mm -hmm. a way of certain thinking that takes us down a path and takes us down a road, it's like it feels like in that same way death has this calling. You know, it's like we know it's there. It's there for all of us. That's right. And it's easy to be a part of a church where we, we continue to ignore that, you know, because yeah. it, 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 it's easy to push it to the side and not engage with, like, the things that take that path and that go in that place. Like, um, and, and I, I say that in the way of like certain thinking that takes us into a road of like, that's, if I stay in this, ultimately this is where I'm going to end up, you mm. know? And it's like, it's not, so it's not to say like, because the hard part is we, we hear Paul saying like, you know, to the old man dies and the new man is formed. It's, mm -hmm. but part of that is like, I think the thing we miss is to suggest that the, the, the ignoring the death <laughs> is like is is what's right. prescribed and that's i don't think that that's what we see and I mean, it's yeah go ahead sorry uh, no sorry I, I had one really uh thing that popped up i forgot it but it'll come back yeah it'll come back. i know i know how you work and it's not just it's not just the end of death but it's the process of slowly dying we yeah. all are slowly dying yeah so at the conference i i had made some just crazy remark about how much i love my 40s and um and I know I joke, you know, and that's just me being, that's like me being joking about being skinny. I mean, it's just like, is that because I don't like being in my forties? Um, I love, I love 
uh, being in my mid forties and life is settled in a way that it never has been before. And I, I just, it was an offhand comment I made about how great it is. It, like I was telling these students, it gets better. It, it really does. It just gets, life gets so much better. Now, yeah. again, not always and not in a straight line, but but the angst of our 20s, it, it gives way to something. And, um, hmm. and, and if, if, you, if you are somebody who walks through all of that with your eyes open, I think you come to a place where, oh my goodness, there, there, there's beauty in getting older. And I had a guy just reach out to me and say, you know, of all the things you said, that was the most powerful because I've just been terrified of, of and he's a 20-something, I've just been terrified of getting old. And I was <laughs> too. I was too. Nobody ever told me. I never had anybody tell me how great it was to be a dad, how great it was to be married, how great it was to be four, in your 40s. No mm-hmm. one has ever used those words. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? He's right. They're, they're, we need to speak that. Yeah. And, and there are parts that suck, of course. And and so that's the honesty you're talking about, but I also th- I it 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 reminded me um, of this conversation that we just don't have a theology of aging. It's like old means worn out, old means um, close to dying, old means nothing more to offer, um, old means get out of the way. And for the ancients, of course, old meant wisdom, and old meant joy, and old meant you know authority. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting, just yeah. interesting how that's inverted. Uh-huh. All right, so. Uh, brothers and sisters, holy moly. Dang. So the last two, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm exhausted. Are. I'm going to go eat, as he eats some ice cream. Um, <laughs> if you, let's see, you'll get this on Monday. Um, uh, if, if we're still alive. So this Sunday, so we're recording this on a Thursday. You'll get it on a Monday. The Sunday in between that Thursday and the Monday, we're doing our Spartan race. Yeah, and uh, we were we were gonna have um, I was gonna wear a GoPro on my head, but then we realized the view that the GoPro would have would be of me looking down, <laughs> um, dry heaving, <laughs> and so so we thought ah who wants to who wants to just oh, see who wants to see that so yeah um, so if you if you do not get a podcast from us next week. Um, it's because I didn't make it and, uh, just understand it's been a good run. <laughs> Love you. Um, uh, so, so we're excited about that. Um, other than that, Andy, uh, I think we've got some live shows you're working on, yeah. which I'm excited about. Um, we're, uh, p- all the Patreon stuff is getting mailed out. I've got another load out to do out this week. You guys, this is ridiculous how gracious you are. 72 of you are supporting us. Um, I just can't even can't even say thank you enough. Yeah. I'm so fired up. Um, uh, not only, I mean, you support us, whether or not you support us through Patreon or not, I get that. But the the you know when we when we cooked up this idea, we just thought, well, maybe it'll cover some baseline expenses or whatever. You guys have been magnificent, so thank you. Yeah. For those of you that got your postcards, you're welcome. You are welcome. <laughs> Um, and that's what Spartan training has done. And right. if you don't know what that means, well, <clears throat> then you need to sign up on Patreon. Right. And there might be a bit of a collect them all experience because maybe after these first are done, you know, we're, we're rolling out a new one. Oh, so all my goodness. Following yes. Patreon people are getting I have, different, I've different had, experience. I've had several people say, hey, we wish you would do one uh, without your shirt on. <laughs> and uh, so I think... Yeah, I think we'll we'll take we'll we'll Photoshop a picture of Baymax. Yeah, and uh, and just put my face <laughs> on it. So so anyway, um, as always, we have this uh, podcast, the Vox Community Podcast. Um, 
Please uh, rate us on, uh, on iTunes. Please share these if they're helpful. Please let us know how you use these. I, I was talking to somebody last night who was just saying, you know, these provoke such great conversations with my friends who are people that are, he, she literally said that the, you are the first Christian this my friend has ever listened to. And it was the first podcast we did on why gay marriage is good for the church. Hmm. And I was like, how amazing is that? So um, we're, we're just so grateful to be a part of your life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, in these days, may he give you peace so that you may be a peacemaker yourself. Bless you, my brothers and sisters. Until next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.